trade and tech war between China and the US has heated up significantly in recent weeks as the US has ramped up export controls and made moves on Hong Kong. All eyes now are on what measures China will enact in response, as it has promised it will do so, the most likely being the long-awaited rollout of the unreliable entity list, which has been more than a year in the making. I'm Vincent Chow, a reporter at China Law & Practice and host of the China Law Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. With me today to discuss China's imminent retaliation against the US and its allies are Lester Ross and Kenneth Joe, Beijing-based partners at global law firm Wilmer Hale, who are also integral members of the American Chamber of Commerce in China. Lester is chair of AmCham China's Policy Committee as well as the Insurance Forum, while Kenneth is on its Board of Governors. In this episode, Lester and Kenneth break down the potential legal bases for the list, the possible consequences for those listed companies, as well as lobbying efforts by American companies in both Beijing and Washington, D.C. Lester, Kenneth, welcome to the China Law Podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you. We're glad to be here, Vincent. It's fair to say that the trade and tech war between China and the U.S. so far has been pretty one-sided in terms of concrete actions taken against the business interests of the opposing side. So can we start with a summary of how the U.S. has targeted Chinese businesses since President Trump came into office? And I know there's also been some recent developments which are relevant here. Let's start with uh, Lester. You're absolutely right. Um, those efforts have increased in number, and they've also increased in intensity uh, under the Trump administration. In 2018, for example, and perhaps most consequential for a time, the United States added uh, ZTE to the denied persons list, which is the most extreme sanction that's available under the Export Administration Act, but uh, which would have denied ZTE the right to export products imported from the United States or products containing uh, U.S. technology or software or devices, which would have essentially crippled ZTE. So ZTE, which was under indictment for violation of U.S. law, then agreed to pay additional fines and make personnel changes and so forth as part of an agreement that resulted in the removal of ZTE from the denied persons list. Somewhat less severe than the denied persons list is a different list known as the entity list. And just last month, that is May of 2020, uh, there were two significant developments under the entity list. So on one hand, the United States added technology, that is to say the direct product of U.S. technology, even if the product itself is manufactured in a third territory with respect to items like chipsets and semiconductor designs with respect to production by Huawei or any of its affiliates, especially high silicon. So these were added to the entity list, and the entity list in turn uh, subjects such products, such companies, to a licensing requirement. So it places them under greater control with respect to their eligibility to purchase product from the United States, again, software or technology. Uh, in addition to that, uh, 33 entities were also added to the list from China. 24 of these entities added were for dual use, that is, military and civilian technology. They're civilian products, but they also have military use. Moreover, for the first time, nine additional entities were added last month for human rights violations associated with Xinjiang. That is to say, Chinese companies which were deemed to be involved in human rights violations in Xinjiang as suppliers to public security or other relevant entities within Xinjiang. So it's certainly true that there are major changes in this regard. If we look overall at the entity list, and by the way, the denied persons list, the entity list, 
and also the unverified list. These all come under the Export Administration Act in the United States. The entity list consists of 309 pages at present. Of those 309 pages, somewhat more than 20% consist of entities organized in China. So indeed, the Export Control Administration in the United States is right now heavily directed against China. So that's a brief summary that really shows the breadth and scope of the US restrictions on Chinese companies through export controls. And that is really important context to bear in mind as we discuss China's major response to all of this. Um, because the question is whether the unreliable entity list being mooted will be as broad and as varied as what the US has been doing. So Kenneth, let me bring you in here. Um, what sort of legal bases might there be for the list? The unreliable entity list was the, was first introduced um, last year, about the same time. The uh, When it was first introduced, the uh, Ministry of Commerce officials said the unreliable entity list regime will be established pursuant to foreign trade law, anti-monopoly law, as well as national security law. If we look at these laws and regulations, uh, some of them do provide legal basis for the unreliable entity list. For example, in terms of foreign trade law, Article 7 of the foreign trade law provides in general terms that if a foreign country adopts prohibitive, restrictive, or similar measures on a discriminatory basis against China in trade, China may take corresponding counteractions against such country or regime. If we look at the anti-monopoly law, of course, anti-monopoly law focuses more on penalizing monopoly conduct, eliminating or reducing competition. Article 17 of the AML in particular prohibits abuses of market dominance by such means as refusal to trade or imposition of discriminatory conditions or prices. The national security law focuses on national security and based on the uh, Article 59 of the national security law, in order to prevent or mitigate national security risks, China will, you know, shall establish a national security review and a supervision system and conduct national security reviews on foreign investment, uh, specific articles, key technologies, products, and services relating to network information technology, infrastructure construction projects, and other transactions and activities that may impact national security. We also note, uh, in addition to these three laws, there are other more recent uh, legislations which provide further legal basis in this connection. One is the, the new uh, foreign investment law. For example, Article 40 of the foreign investment law also provides that China may take corresponding countermeasures against a foreign country or region if such foreign country or region takes discri discriminatory measures against China, prohibiting or restricting investments. So in other words, the Chinese unreliable entity list is based on a variety of laws and regulations. It's not just limited to export control in terms of technologies. In this connection, China also is also in the process of formulating its um, export control law. They have, uh, China has already published a draft of uh, uh, export control law for public comments. And the law is still in draft form, but uh, the expectation is the law is going to come out soon. Okay. Can you talk about the possible consequences for companies then if they are added to this list? Um, so the in terms of unreliable entity list, it has been the concept has been uh, introduced about a year ago, but the rules have not yet come out. Um, so it is not entirely clear what kind of uh, consequences the companies, um, especially foreign companies, will face uh, if they are listed. But generally speaking, there are broad in 
implications in this connection. For example, um, for a foreign company which is listed as an unreliable entity, the consequences might include market access sanctions such as bans or restrictions on trade, investment, and uh, you know regulatory uh, permits and the licensing. You know, government can always withhold regulatory approvals or licensing, which is you know is necessary for a business um, to operate in China. And also, the Chinese business counterparties, the Chinese business partners to multinationals, may also likely be ordered to cease business dealings with such foreign entities. In this connection, uh, we also note that in addition to the unreliable entity list, there are many other tools the Chinese government can use to penalize multinationals. You know, such other tools include the social uh, social credit system, blacklists, as well as the investigations under the anti-monopoly law with respect to monopoly conducts, with respect to pricing, as well as customs scrutiny. Right when a foreign company imports products to China, the customs may you know take actions to you know sort of uh, you know enhance its scrutiny on the products when it comes to the port of entry and that scrutiny might take some time, which would delay the import process. So um, um, there are many, many uh, potential consequences for foreign companies in this connection. If I could add, basically, the, the difference between China and the United States in this regard is that uh, is one of dependence, at least at this stage of development. So the United States controls assume that the country that is the subject of sanctions or wh- whose companies or other entities are subject to sanctions are dependent upon U.S. technology. And in China's case, with respect to the under-reliable entities list, uh, China is saying, well, if you sanction us, then we're going to squeeze your companies out of our market. So we are in de- import dependent, but you need our market. The United States, of course, also has its own security regulations with respect to imported technology, uh, with re- te- telecommunications, uh, utilities, etc., although they are less elaborate in a formal sense than the Chinese process. And in addition to that, a second difference is, as Kenneth has mentioned, some of the uh, measures which China has in its toolbox and has employed are, are not strictly legal. They're really extrajudicial, extra-legal in terms of uh, discrimination against foreign company for any number of reasons, including, of course, retaliation against export restrictions from the home country or that particular company. In the United States, things operate in a more formal fashion from the perspective of the company or country that's affected, that may not make a whole lot of difference, uh, but that is a substantial difference in the way in which the two countries' regimes operate at this point and perhaps for the next few years looking ahead into the future. We've seen Chinese state media report in recent weeks several different major American companies which might be added to the list, such as uh, the tech giants Apple and Qualcomm. What do you think will be the industries most affected? It's fundamentally technology companies and companies which are really dependent upon the Chinese market. China has already embarked upon a uh, substantial effort under Made in China and uh, other policies to reduce its dependence upon foreign technology. So it can accelerate that movement. And in that respect, it can uh, exact punishment upon those companies and the country in which they're incorporated. Yeah, j- j- just to note that the uh, the unreliable entity list, right, when uh, it's um, uh, introduced, uh, at least, you know, on the paper, it does not specifically target at U.S. companies. Having said that, 
you know, I would think, you know, the um, um, some companies, you know, especially those companies which, um, you know, has a history or have involved, engaged in the conducts of, you know, cutting off supplies or creating sort of, uh, you know, interruptions in the supplies to Chinese companies may be particularly vulnerable. And also, you know, the for companies there, you know, whose products or services in China can easily be replaced and these companies might be um, uh, vulnerable. Uh, and also for foreign companies, which, you know, for example, the U.S. corporations, which have actively assisted, for example, in the U.S. government investigation or, you know, proceedings against Chinese companies, these companies might also become an easy target for the Chinese government in terms of enforcing unreliable entity list. I want to ask about timing and the fact that it's now been more than a year since the list was announced, and yet we still haven't seen the finalized list of companies or the underlying rules for the list. Um, we haven't seen any of those published. So why do you think that is? And do you think that now would be the time for them to do so, given the significant ramping up of US actions recently, um, for example, uh, in terms of Huawei as well as uh, for Hong Kong? I would say that it accelerates publication of such lists. Um, because the the tension between the United States and China with respect to technology rivalry has has, gr- has grown. Now, the, the unreliable entity list, it focuses on particular companies. In that sense, it's directly related or a, the direct counterpart to uh, the entity list in the United States. But it is a bit uh, misdirected because it focuses on the decisions by companies, in this case in the United States, to do things which China doesn't like. But what these companies are generally doing is not restricting their sales to China because they don't want to sell to China. There may be some issues associated with human rights concerns. As we know, investors are increasingly conscious of uh, what we call the ESG concerns, environmental, social, and governance considerations. But it's primarily because their home country, the United States, says you may not sell to China as much or as you would like or particular products that you would like. So China, the unreliable entities list is targeting companies, but the companies may not have much influence. Of course, you could argue that if you put enough pressure on the companies, then they will in turn influence their government. And that certainly does exist in the United States. Companies do seek to modify the entity list or any other list of sanctions which apply to their business in China or to some extent elsewhere in the world, but it's indirect. By contrast, even though the United States list, as we refer to it, the entity list or any of the other lists, while they identify particular companies, the assumption in a number of instances is that these are companies which are not actually doing so or necessarily doing something at the behest of the Chinese government, but rather that they may be doing so even if they are in violation of their home country's laws. By contrast, the unreliable entity list is really directed against companies, even though those companies are are indeed acting in accordance with their home country's laws, uh, and they have no direct way, no powerful way necessarily to get those laws changed. That's a very interesting distinction to make. And I I wonder then, as both of you are integral members of AmCham China, um, what the response has been from the Chinese authorities when you make this point that the unreliable entity list is being misdirected at foreign companies who are, in essence, just complying with the laws and regulations of their home countries. What, what's the response been like from the Chinese authorities? I think it's fair to say that their point is, uh, look, into, look into your own country and you'll understand why it is doing what we're doing. And it's really up to you to do the best you can to influence 
your home government, the United States government, in this regard. And if you do, uh, then your prospects for doing business in China, increasingly the world's largest market for many products, uh, then your business will prosper. But national interest, essentially, uh, is more important than the interest of a particular company. We can say that China has uh, begun to enact a, a, a more substantial legal uh, system. For example, the new foreign investment law, which took effect early this year, uh, some of which, some of changes of which were adopted in response to pressure from the United States or other countries to level the playing field, to treat foreign invested companies uh, more equally or as equally as domestic companies. So China has made some changes in this regard, but fundamentally what China is saying is we cannot dependent upon technology or certain products that are important to us strategically if there is a risk that because of United States laws and policies or changes there too, uh, you are going to, we're going to be cut off. So we have to be more independent ourselves. And if that's the case, we're sorry about it, but that's the way it is. And what about lobbying the US government? How convinced are they that their current course of action is justified, even if American companies in China are squeezed out as a result? Well, it's a, it's a push and pull uh, process. Uh, companies first seek to get their own products or their own customers off the list, or they seek to mitigate the requirements. As I mentioned before, with respect to ZTE in 2018, there was suddenly a lot of pressure, certainly pressure from the Chinese government, but especially from the suppliers to ZTE, which said, who said, well, if you cut them off completely, and in this case, that meant that ZTE would not be able to export its products to anywhere else, then you're really hurting the United States. So is there something that you can do in order to uh, work out a deal with ZTE to resolve their compliance problems without essentially destroying that company and in turn cutting out a large uh, customer from us? And when this became apparent, and of course, the Chinese government also made such representations to the United States government, a deal was worked out uh, under which ZTE, paid, as I mentioned before, paid a fine, uh, agreed to compliance measures and so forth. And uh, so trade was resumed, but uh, it's still, to some extent, a tentative process. The, this kind of lobbying, is the, it operates in some of the same ways as it does with respect to tariffs, which the United States has introduced now into the Trump administration in a big way. Companies look at their products, which they're dependent on China from, and say, well, this is going to hurt us. It's going to hurt our profits, certainly going to hurt our employees. And so they then lobby with the relevant agency of the United States government, including their members of Congress, and say, can you remove our product from the list? Or can you reduce the tariff that you're intending to apply? And that process is a regular process in the United States, takes place all the time. Our law firm is heavily involved in this uh, in order to smooth the difference and make the government recognize that there is a trade-off between taking the measures that might be most effective, might be, I won't say they are, and those measures which are going to cost the most pain. And again, I won't say that they necessarily will, but it's the effort to find a balance between those two with the government looking more to the, the impact, imposing pain side and the companies looking to it more from the perception of feeling pain. But aren't these lobbying efforts just making changes at the margin when the macro trend is that the US and China are undergoing decoupling, not just in trade and technology, but also in other sectors such as capital markets? Uh, let me bring in Kenneth here. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, decoupling is, is the, <laughs> the term that is uh, now you know, a lot of people using. Um, but certainly um, for business community, uh, decoupling is not a very good term. 
And uh, because, you know, it's, it's really the belief of business community that the two countries, we're talking about the world largest economy and the second largest economy, the two countries have to work together. Um, you know, for example, you know, if we look at the, uh, the U.S.-China uh, phase one trade deal, which was signed uh, January this year, the two countries, you know, in this connection, the two countries have been actually closely working with each other. And uh, the USTR uh, has also made statement to acknowledge China's efforts in enforcing and implementing phase one deal. So um, it is uh, business community's belief that, you know, the two countries um, have to work together. Right. But might this unreliable entity list be the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of actually forcing U.S. companies in China to reconsider their operations in the country? Lester, you can have the final word on this. So, yes, there has been some diversification and there will continue to be uh, of supply chains because of the risk of disruption. And to some extent also because China costs of labor in China, costs of production overall have risen. So China for certain production processes is less attractive than it was before. That's a natural process that exists around the world in different ways all of the time. But for the most part, our member companies are in China for the China market. And so they're very reluctant to pull out of China so long as they think they can do business. Indeed, we represent, and Amcham China has member companies that uh, do not yet have much business in China, but are continually hoping and pressing the Chinese government to open the door wider so that they can enter the market as China relaxes its restrictions on foreign investment, shrinks its negative list, accelerates the approvals for companies to enter, particularly into regulated industries like financial services, which are subject to a lot of restrictions. And then if that happens, necessarily, those companies will become lobbyists in, in a way for uh, the strengthening of trade and investment relations with China. And while they're kept out of the market, frankly, it doesn't, it's not as important to them. Well, Lester, Kenneth, thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Our pleasure. And thank you for listening to the China Law Podcast, a weekly discussion of China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Make sure to check out our website, chinalawandpractice.com, to keep up to date with the latest US-China legal and business news through our in-depth analyses, including contributions from our network of leading lawyers and in-house counsel, as well as full access to a searchable database of English full translations of PRC legislation going back 33 years. Trials are available, so do get in touch if you'd like one. We'll be back next week to discuss Hong Kong's special trade status. Stay tuned and thanks again for listening.